about Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And having stepped away from uh, Nehemiah last week, what I'd like to do uh, is just by way of introduction, uh, start with a review of where we've been the last number of weeks in the book of uh, Nehemiah. And uh, so if you, you remember, certainly the beginning of the book where Nehemiah was tasked to go and rebuild the wall, and uh, any time we see something in God's economy, it's never just about a physical act. There's always a spiritual component that's tied to it. And so in chapter 6, they complete the wall. See, if it was just about the wall, if it was just a physical thing, the book would have ended uh, at the end of chapter 6. But that was really the, the precursor to get at what God really wanted to get after, which was the heart of the people. And so in chapter 6 and 7, we see the dynamic of I'm living for the kingdom of, right, for God. God or the kingdom of myself, and then and we, and we see that long list of name in chapter names in chapter seven, and then in chapters eight, nine, and ten, there's this emphasis on the heart and the spiritual well-being of the people, and in chapter eight, where they opened up the law and 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 they began to read from God's word and God began to speak into the people. Chapters nine and ten, where there's confession and repentance that begins to show up in the people. And that's what brings us to the place uh, where we find ourselves today, which is a celebration. The title of the message is Celebrating God's Work. Celebrating God's Work. And you might say, wait, wait, wait. What about chapters 11 and the first half of chapters 12? And if you were to just look, we'll just look at it real quick. Um, uh, I, I'm not up for uh, public humiliation, so I wasn't really interested in reading uh, a righteous 60 verses of names, most of which I can't pronounce, okay? And while, while chapter 11 and the first part of chapter 12 is usually good for a few rounds of I'm glad my mom and dad didn't name me that, uh, there's not really a whole lot of substance in terms of preaching material. So let me follow that up with one, uh, one, one thought from the other side uh, of, of these names, that don't miss the fact that even though we're not going to spend any time talking about these names and locations, that each of the names and each of the numbers that are recorded in chapter 11 and chapter 12 represent a person, a specific individual who is created in the image of God, that is loved and cared for deeply by God, so much so that God chose to write their name in Scripture. Okay, and that same love, that same care, that same uh, concern that God had for that individual <clears throat> is the same specific care and concern that he has for you and I today. See, we don't serve a God who's disinterested. We don't serve a God who's distant, but we serve a God who knows our name. Okay, and he knows who we are, loved ones. And so just by way of summary, we'll let that be the, the summary for chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12. Uh, let's read, uh, let's read starting in verse 27 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to skip a couple of portions because it's just going to be uh, a long list of names um, or locations. But starting in verse 27 of chapter 12, celebrating God's work, here's what we see. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. They had, were living outside of the city walls. In fact, we learned that in chapter 11. They sought to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nidothites and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. 
And the priest and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. And one went to the south, and then in starting in verse 32 through verse 37, he details the various places that they went as they moved along the wall and the various people uh, who led that procession. Okay, so move down to verse 38. The other choir, right, he's told us two choirs in verse 31. So the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and Nehemiah saying, I followed them. With, with half the people. Right? So half the people went with the one choir, the other half of the people went to the other choir, and Nehemiah in verse uh, 39 names all the different places that the second group crossed over. Now look at verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and he lists them in verses 41 and 42. Verse 43, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Uh, verse 44, On that day men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the firstfruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God. <coughs> And the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were, <coughs> excuse me, directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons. Of Aaron. And so the celebration of God's work, the celebration of all that he had done that was culminated uh, in this dedication uh, here, I think it'd be wise of us before we go any further to just take a moment and to uh, ask God to have his way with us here this morning. So why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, and God, we ask that you would be honored in all things. God, we pray that a, a true celebration of you would take place, that there would be a true righteousness uh, in, our, in our celebration, in our lifting up, in our, in our honoring of you, uh, Lord. And so we come now, we ask, God, we ask that you uh, would have your way amongst us, that, God, that we would hear from you, that we would hear uh, from your word, that your spirit would uh, direct and guide us in all things. So, Lord Jesus, would you come and have your way, and not only in us, but, God, I pray for Pastor Carlos Griego and for Redemption Rio Rancho. We pray in that church that you would have your way there as well. So, Lord Jesus, come now. Let your spirit move us and prompt us in the ways that we need to be moved and prompted. Would you help us to rightly celebrate all that you've done and all that you are? We thank you and we love you and just pray this in your name. Amen. So celebrating God's work, three things specifically that I want us to see here this morning. And there's really a progression in this text uh, that should be very much a progression of what happens in our lives in terms of rightly celebrating uh, all that it is that God uh, does in our lives. Uh, so notice this, first of all, celebrating God's work. Here's the first thing is uh, celebration and thanksgiving. 
celebration and thanksgiving. Verses 27 through 42, we see this, this principle, this truth show up. And so while this is the majority of the, the, the passages that we're going to look at this morning, this will also be the majority of where we spend our time this morning. So don't freak out when two-thirds of the message is spent in the first point. I get that, okay? <clears throat> but we've, it's, it's where the majority of the verses are. And so here we repeatedly see this theme of thanksgiving. And it's, it's not a stretch that, that celebration and thanksgiving would be tied to one another. That, that, that's that's uh, probably very easy for us uh, to understand. But verse 27, uh, that to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving. Verse 31, he appointed two choirs that gave thanks. Verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks. Verse, thor- verse 40, right, the choirs of those who gave thanks. This notion of thanks is heavily, heavily, heavily on Nehemiah's mind. Now look at verse 27, uh, specifically because verse 27 there's, uh, is really a summary of verses 27 through 42. And so at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication. Now notice these three words here. Here's how they wanted to celebrate with gladness, with thanksgiving, and was singing. Okay, those three words really, really summarize what we're going to see here in the next 15 verses. With gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, gladness uh, literally means joy. It's the same Hebrew word that shows up in verse 43 uh, five times, and each time it's uh, translated as joy or rejoice. And why they chose gladness here in verse 27 and joy in verse 43, I don't know. But I think in our understanding, certainly the term gladness doesn't tend, at least for me, doesn't carry the depth of meaning that joy carries with it. Right? And so this gladness or this joy, it's really the, the, the state of the heart, what's going on in the heart. So with gladness, with thanksgiving... See, thanksgiving is simply, it's the, it's the, the praise, it's the verbal expression, it's, it's stating with my lips what's going on internally in my heart and in my soul. And then singing, right, singing becomes the specific form by which we do that. And so let's just unpack each of these terms a little bit further because that's really what the text does for us. First of all, this with gladness with gladness, with joy, literally with pleasure or delight. I love how James McDonald defines joy. He defines joy as a supernatural delight in the person, in the purposes, and the people of God. Let me say that again. Some of you want to write this down. Joy is a supernatural delight. All right? It's divine. It's of God. It's from Him. It's not something that you and I manipulate. It's a supernatural delight in the person of God, in the purposes of God, and in the people of God. And see, it starts with the heart. That's where it begins in a celebration in thanksgiving. It has to start in the heart. That's where true thanksgiving emanates and pours forth from, is from a heart that has a supernatural delight in who God is. So notice, notice as we begin to frame all three of these items, this is really critical that they sought this out, right? They went and sought out the Levites. They were intentional, deliberate, purposeful in seeking these people out. And then notice how they're going to celebrate the dedication. They're going to do it with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with 
singing. See, they, they understood that just because a good thing was happening, that joy is not inherent in that. Just because a good thing is happening, joy or gladness is not inherent in that. Of course, the inverse of that is true as well. That just because a bad thing is happening doesn't mean that there can't be a joy or gladness in that particular item. See, and I think that's where so many of us get this crooked. This is where so many of us go sideways is we firmly believe that our circumstances and our situations dictate and determine and drive whether or not there's joy and gladness in our lives. See, if, if things are going good for me, then, then certainly there's, there's joy in that. But if things are bad, then there's no way that there can be joy in that. And it's why, it's why so many of us in our world today will chase Right? We'll chase things to alter our circumstances. That's why so many of us want more money. We want to be famous. We want possessions, right? We chase the mythical unicorn of happiness. Because I think, I believe, I've been duped into this wrong thinking that if I can alter the circumstances, if I can alter what's going on around me, then that's where the joy comes from. Now listen. Joy is driven and determined and dictated by Jesus, period. All right, that's where the joy comes from. It's driven and dictated and determined by Him. See, that, that's why the Scriptures can tell us, count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy when you encounter what? Tell me, what's the next, ver next part of the verse say? Trials. You ever thought how just whacked out and crazy that verse is? I mean, think about that. Hey, when things go really poorly for you, I want you to count that as all joy. And in fact, just to give you an idea of just how wacky it is, the next time your, um, <clears throat> your non-believing neighbor or coworker or friend is going off about how their life is falling apart, just think about dropping that verse on them. Hey, man, just count it, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And then when they look at you like you're a three-headed dragon, right? Like, what is wrong with you? Right, because stripped of Jesus, the thinking, the notion, the belief in life is that my circumstances and my situation determines whether or not there's joy in my life. Jesus determines and drives whether or not there's joy in my life. It's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, when he, you ever thought about how crazy this is? Hey, be anxious for nothing. Okay, true confessions. Anyone got something going on in their life that, that causes a little bit of angst in them? All right, church, come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've got some of that going on, right? Hey, be anxious for nothing. Now, stripped of Jesus, you're like, man, what, what are you living in a bubble? What is wrong with you? But it's what Paul says right before that. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Because Jesus is near, you can be anxious for nothing. See, our situation, our circumstances don't drive and determine whether or not there's joy. It's determined by our Savior. And some of you, some of you are here this morning and you're chasing something, hoping, thinking, praying that that's going to be the thing that's going to change what's going on in your heart. If it's not Jesus, it has no power to dictate and to drive a joy deep into your heart. 
Right, so a celebration in thanksgiving, it starts with gladness or with joy, which is in the heart. Then this secondly, right, celebration and thanksgiving, well, there's with thanksgiving, right, with thanksgiving. And the way that we begin to cultivate and foster a gladness and a joy in our heart is, is in this, this notion of thanksgiving. And so, right, with the, uh, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, And see, really what we see here is this idea that as I begin to express gratitude, as I begin to express thanks, as I begin to tell God, thank you for what you've done, joy begins to well up inside of me. See, because here's what happens. Here's what happens. When I begin to identify God is doing this, God, thank you. It begins to take my eyes and my focus off of my situation and the circumstances that's going on around me. It takes my eyes off of myself and it begins to reorient my focus back to him. Now, you can't spend much time with your eyes on Jesus without being changed and without being grateful and without being thankful. Okay, and so the thanksgiving and beginning to identify all that God is doing begins to get our eyes and our hearts and our minds fixated back on Him. Now, let me be really careful here because what I don't want you to hear is that there's some way, that there's some formula to manipulate God into giving you joy. Because that's not at all what I'm saying here. And there, there, there's, a, there's a huge distinction between, okay, well, if you would just three times a day say five things that you're thankful for, then you're going to have joy in your heart. Okay, that's, that's a moralistic corruption, and that's, that's dead, and we want nothing to do with that. But that's very, very different than beginning to recognize and identify, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you for this, and getting my eyes fixated on him. And in that where he begins to change us and change our hearts and change the things that we're passionate about. And so with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Now, right, the danger, the danger in thinking that joy shows up in our circumstances is thinking that unless life is good, I can never get to the place where I can be thankful. And that's why this is so critical, this notion of thanksgiving. So how do we break the chain? Well, we begin to express thanks. Now, notice verse 31 really begins to tell the story of this. So look at what it says, what he did. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. And so so sorry, he, all, all the people gather, and he brings up the leaders onto the wall. And, and we don't, I don't know if he just wanted to publicly acknowledge them. I, we, we don't really know what exactly it is, but he brings them all up onto the wall. And then apparently that's not enough, because notice what he does next. And appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Right, so, so, so they're all standing there, and Nehemiah just starts, you, 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 you. In fact, I need some volunteers. Give me six, eight volunteers. Come on. Come on, get up here. I'm, I won't make you say anything, I promise. Come on. Come on. G- g- give me at least six. Here we go. All right, thank you, Steve. Steve Moore running all the way from the back. You people up front should be disappointed. All right, I told you I wouldn't make you say anything, but I'm going to make you each sing a solo. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do. I have an intense fear of singing in public. All right. So, so right, he starts identifying, okay, you, you're going to be a choir of thanksgiving. And so notice in verse, in verse 31, one went to the south on the wall. And so here the choir, he brings them up on the wall. And what the choir does is they begin walking around the wall and they're heading towards the temple all the while giving thanks. Go ahead, man. 
Go ahead, just, just lead us. You guys are free to give thanks. I won't make you say anything. And then in verse 38, no, 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 y'all, y'all going to go the other way, right? You guys head to the north. So you go ahead and start walking at the wall. That We'll say the temple is in the back of the sanctuary. Go ahead. And so they're walking, 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 right? And as they're going along, right, they're walking on the wall. Now stop for a second. Stop for a second. Because no doubt, no doubt, the people that are in these choirs as they're walking along the wall came to a place where they're thinking to themselves, I remember when this was in utter ruin. I remember when this was destroyed. I remember when this was just a huge hole. Right? And no doubt, I'll go, go ahead and keep going. Y'all can just keep going. In fact, you can just make your way back to your seats if you want to. And not, not, not only that, not only did they come to that place where they remembered that piece, but no doubt they came to the place where they said, remember when you and I, we worked on this part right here together? And, and, and do, you, do you remember when, when I stood guard, Alan, and, and, and you were, were working on the wall and then we flip-flopped? You remember that? Right? And the thanksgiving that began to well up inside of them and the appreciation and, and the, the ruin and the destruction that had taken place. And in that moment, right, in that moment where they're reminded this was destroyed, this was ruined, this was a pile of rubble. But God, in, in, in all that you did, you restored this. You rebuilt this. You made this right. See, because it's no different in your life and in my life, is it? See, well, we could walk around metaphorically on the walls of our life and you begin to walk over some of the places. Man, I I remember, I remember when this was in utter devastation. And I remember when there was nothing but ruin in my life. I remember when that broken relationship seemed like it would never be healed. I remembered when I thought that my marriage was done. I remembered when I thought there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to pay these bills. I remember when I thought there's no way that my child's ever coming back, right? You just go ahead and you fill in the blank of whatever it is for you. God, I remember when, and see, some of you, some of you, you're in the midst of that rubble right now. You're in the midst of the devastation. And so for some of you, what you need to hear, you need to hear the encouraging word that God's going to rebuild the wall. That God's going to make it right because that's what God does. He makes it right. Others of you are beyond that place and you're walking on that wall. And see, you can't come to that place of seeing the devastation, of seeing the destruction, and then seeing God's hand so mercifully and powerfully move without beginning to have the thanksgiving well up inside of you. Without going, God, thank you, God, God, thank you for how you've moved, God, thank you for how you've worked. See, this is, this is the gospel. This is where the gospel is so prominent in our life, where Jesus has done so much, right? All of us, all of us could look back in our lives and go, man, I was a mess and I was broken and I was ruined. And then God, you showed up. You showed up, right? And where thanksgiving becomes so prominent, sometimes, right? Sometimes it's in the enormous and the overwhelming acts of God. 
that we need to be reminded of and, and thankful of all that he's done. And last week, as Pastor Stephan taught out of Romans 3, right, that's a great example of all that God has done for us. That God has taken our sin, that he's, that, that, that he's covered the penalty, that he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. But he didn't leave us in some moral neutrality, but he gave us a righteousness that belongs to Jesus. And so listen very carefully when I say this, loved ones. When God looks at you today, when he looks at you right now, he doesn't see failure. He doesn't see shortcoming. He doesn't see sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's so powerful. He looks at you. He's like, man, I see Jesus. I love that. Right in those big things and that overwhelming thankfulness that wells up there. But see, sometimes, sometimes it shows up in the seemingly inconsequential, the relatively small things. Now, I'm so thankful. I, I have a mom who has modeled this honestly better than any other person that I've ever seen in my life. And so a number of you have heard me talk about my mom and her thankful list. She has a thankful list right, on, right as you walk into her house. It's just notebook paper, and she just sticks it on the wall at the beginning of the year, and she just begins to write down things that she's thankful for. And by the end of the year, that thing's 8, 9, 10 feet long. But the crazy thing about that list is that when you look at that list, most of the things on there, you're just like, Really? Why would you put that on the list? In fact, over the course of the years, it's become a significant source of entertainment uh, for myself uh, and my siblings. In fact, I, I, just, I just texted her. I said, Mom, give me just a few things on your list right now. And so I'll just read you a few of them. Um, here was the first. She said, I saw 40 deer. I saw 40 deer. And my thought when I read that was, if I'm not hunting, I don't care. Right? <laughs> Who cares? But she cares. That's cool, right? And uh, then the next one, the next, I think the next one was even funnier to me. Uh, they, they've had an issue with a mountain lion coming, coming into the edge of the town. And, you know, I mean, I'd rather a mountain lion eat a deer than, than a person. But her next line was the mountain lion is not getting them all, right? She's so thankful, right? The mountain lion's not eating them all. And I just kind of chuckled and I said, yet, right? Um, <laughs> that's what they do. Uh, another one, she said, the robins are back. The robins are back. Not the neighbors or not some friends. She's just talking about those silly little birds that come back in spring. Okay? And uh, I, found, I found a heating pad and some junk. And then the follow-up to that, that she had been looking for that. Uh, and you, you, you look at those and you're like, really? There's nothing substantial. There's nothing significant. There's nothing overwhelming there. And see, here's where I'd push back on that. Because it's a constant reminder of God's presence, his provision, and his care. That's what those are. That, that, that God is ever faithful, ever present, always, always, always caring for his children. Becky so rightly pointed out, she said, you know, when you train your heart for thankfulness, it begins to notice and be thankful for the little things. And see, that's what my mom has done for decades, is she's just cultivated a heart of thankfulness. And when you begin to train your heart for thankfulness, it begins to notice and be thankful for the little things. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. I know I've got a lot of training that needs to show up in my life. Right? A celebration in Thanksgiving. Well, that happens with Thanksgiving by being thankful being thankful for all that God has done. And of course, in that process where we remove our eyes from what's going on around us and get fixated back on uh, the one 
who holds all things in our hands. And so with gladness, with thanksgiving, notice then this thirdly, with singing, with singing. And so if joy is in my heart and thanksgiving is the expression, uh, singing is the form that's used. Now, it's not the only form uh, that's used in the scriptures, but it's a pretty common form that's used in the scriptures. And it's pretty commonly used even in this passage of scripture. Verse 27 talks about singing. Verse 28 <clears throat> The sons of the singers gathered uh, together. Verse 31, he appointed two choirs. Verse 42, well, verse 38 and 40 also mentioned the choirs. Verse 42, he mentions the singers again and even name their uh, choir director. Right. Repeatedly in this passage, we see this notion of singing. And of course, the whole of the scriptures are really no different. Uh, in Exodus 15, Moses said, I will sing to him. Uh, David in First Chronicles 16 says, sing to him, sing praises to him. Right. How many times in the Psalms are we commanded and exhorted to sing to the Lord? Uh, both Isaiah and Jeremiah repeatedly exhorted the nation to, to sing praises to God. Or how about in Acts chapter 16? Remember Paul and Silas having been savagely beaten for sharing the gospel. And so in the middle of the night in stocks in prison, and I firmly believe that they're awake because they're just in so much pain. All right. In prison, it says that they were praying and tell me what else were they doing? They're singing. That doesn't really seem like the context that I would want to be singing in. I'm guessing you're probably of the same mind. Then you get to the book of Revelation. And you realize that this whole singing thing is going to be a pretty substantial part of what goes on in eternity. You know, Mike, that's good and that's nice and I'm glad. That's great that you have some passages you can talk to. Uh, I don't sing. I, I'm not really a singer. Uh, it's not really my thing. I don't really like it. I don't really feel like it. Just tell I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard those things. It's not for me. You know, I don't really feel like loving my neighbor. Um, there's a lot of times I don't really feel like loving my enemy. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I don't really want to live sacrificially. Uh, I pretty much never want to die to myself. But see, the funny thing about the scriptures is when God tells us to do something, it's never qualified with if you're good at it, if you feel like it, or if you want to. He just says, do it. And because I'm God and because I'm in charge and because I'm the ruling, reigning authority of all, don't talk back. Just do it. That's pretty much how it goes down. And yet, in far... Too many churches, far too many people, far too often will come in, and this is what um, worship looks like. Right? And you, of course, you got to get the shoulders kind of slumped because you got to be, you want to make sure the worship leader sees how disapproving you are. Right? I don't like this song. This isn't my favorite genre, or this, this one's, honestly, this one's my favorite. Right? Arms crossed, furrowed brow. I'm going to stare you down because I don't like it. Because I don't want to sing. It's not my thing. 
I would just ask you in that, who's it really all about? Who's it really all about? See, because worship, worship is never about the worshiper. It's about the object of worship. And so the moment, the moment that I become the object of worship, I have departed from caring at all about what God thinks and have fixated myself solely upon what I think. Which, by the way, worship of anyone or anything not named Jesus Christ is idolatry. So some of you can come in to church. Maybe some of you have already come into church and you've committed idolatry. It's kind of a painful thought, isn't it? That I rolled into church this morning, and within the first 10 minutes of being here, I committed idolatry. Because I made worship more about myself, I made it more about me, more about my preference, more about my wants, what's in it for me, than about the object of worship, Jesus Christ himself. That's a scary, scary thought. All right, and so celebration and thanksgiving, celebration and thanksgiving, we celebrate with gladness or with joy, with thanksgiving and with singing. Notice the secondly, verse 43. If you think you're free of the worship piece, you're not. Celebration and worship. Celebration and worship, really just an extension of what we were talking about. Notice two things here in verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices. Here's the first. How do we celebrate and worship? Well, we offer sacrifices. Right, they offered great sacrifices. It wasn't just a little sacrifice or, or, or a tiny sacrifice. It was a great sacrifice. Sometimes, sometimes worship comes through sacrifice. Now, for, for the most part, by and large, we tend to be pretty good at doing the, the praise, the ascription, the adoration thing. We tend to be pretty good at that. But I'll just tell you, man, as, as, as Western believers, we really, really struggle to do the sacrifice part well. See, can I worship in giving up something? Can I worship in letting go? Can I worship in releasing? Just ask yourself right now here in this moment, what is it that I'm willing to release? What is it that I'm willing to let go of? What is it that I'm willing to lose in my life to see worship Take place. Think about that. What is it? What is it that I'm willing to lose to see worship take place? Some of you are like, I'm willing to lose five pounds for worship to take place. I'm willing to lose a bad relationship. No, no, you've missed the notion of a sacrifice. Inherent in a sacrifice is giving up a good thing. See, because you didn't put a lame animal on the altar. You didn't put a flawed animal on the altar. You put a perfect animal on the altar. It was a good thing that you gave up. Am I willing to forego? Am I willing to lose what what valuable, what meaningful, what sacred thing am I willing to sacrifice in order to see worship happen? So just, right, what, what, what is it in your life that's valuable? What is it that's meaningful? What is it that's sacred? I just began to think some of the things for me, right? My time. My time is, is significant to me. Uh, my energy and my resources, that's, that's very meaningful uh, to me. My family is very significant to me. 
right? I often tell people as a pastor, the only professional asset that I have is my reputation. And once that's lost, I've got nothing. So am I willing to do something that some people, even though I know it's the right thing, others would maybe look unfavorably upon in order to rightly worship the king? Maybe you're going, Mike, that's, that's a hard word. That's a really hard word. See, I fear that sometimes that we've lost sight that worship isn't for us and it's not about us. But it will, make no mistake, loved ones, it will shape us. But it's not for us and it's not about us. Celebration and worship, they offered sacrifices, they gave up good things. And then notice this, secondly, they rejoiced in God. In fact, Nehemiah makes that unmistakably clear. Let's just count how many times we see this word show up. Right? Verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day, and one rejoiced, for God had made them to rejoice with great three joy. The women and the children also rejoiced for, and the joy five of Jerusalem was heard far away. You think he's not trying to drive home a point? Right? Rejoicing in God. Rejoicing in God. A celebration of God. Right? The, the, the culmination of what we've been talking about in verses 27 up to this point in verse 43. It, it culminates here in a rejoicing in God. In a celebration of who God is. And why such joy? Why, 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 why such a significant um, a return again and again and again to this word? Because it's found in God. Right? It's found in the person of God. It's found in the purposes of God. It's found in the people of God. A celebration of worship is found as we rejoice in God himself. Okay, why? Why? I love what D.A. Carson says about worship. He says this. He says, for our part, when we offer worship to God, we must see that this does not make us unique the object of our worship, God himself is unique in that, we, that he alone is to be worshipped. We, the worshippers, are not. Right? A rejoicing in God. So let me just ask you right now, what is it? What is it in your life that you're rejoicing in right now? What is it that if I said it, the corner of your lips would turn Upward, your soul would begin to be lifted. There would be a peace in your heart that would begin uh, to, to uh, overflow and overwhelm everything else in you. Is it in God Himself? Or is it in someone or something else? Right, a true rejoicing in God. You remember that story in Luke 7 with the, um, the sinful woman? And, and we just, we assume that she was an adulterous woman or there was some kind of sexual immorality that had taken place. Though the scriptures just tell us that she was a sinful woman. But do you remember what happened? Right? Jesus is, is at a Pharisee's house and she rolls in, man, breaking every social rule imaginable. And she brings this, this ointment with her. And with her tears and with her hair, she's cleaning off his feet as she's kissing them. And everyone else is looking around going like, what is going on? And then she takes the ointment and, and anoints his feet. See, I don't know about you, but if, if I have a $5 gift or a $5 debt forgiven, I'm going to tell you thank you. If I have a $500 debt 
forgiven. I'm going to tell you thank you. I'm probably going to write you a thank you note. And and I'm probably going to make sure that you know that I appreciate it. If I have a $5 million debt forgiven, I'm going to look like a downright fool making sure that you know how appreciative I am of that enormous debt that has been forgiven me. Now, the illustration breaks down in that Jesus, obviously, you can't put a monetary value on what he's forgiven us. But see, for far too many of us, we treat Jesus and what he's done for us as the $5 debt. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cool, bro. I'm I'm glad you could do that for me. Not like the $5 million debt that it truly is. A true rejoicing, a true rejoicing in him. And we need to be lost, right? We need to be lost in the object we worship with no regard for anyone else around us. A celebration, celebration in thanksgiving, celebration in worship. Here's the final thing. Look at verses 44 through 47. It's celebration and service. It's celebration and service. And so in verse 44, it talks about different men being appointed over different things and the people rejoicing over the priest and the Levites who ministered. Look at verse 45. Here's the principle right here. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification. Right? The people performed the service of their God. They did the thing that God called them to do. Now, here's, here's what you have to understand. Here's what you cannot, cannot, cannot miss. Is that on the heels of worship, on the heels of gratitude, on the heels of appreciation, that, that, that worship, that, that it drives us and it motivates us, that's what takes us to the place of service. An appreciation for all that God has done, a thankfulness for all that God has done, a worship of who God is, that's what moves us to the place of service. And we see this repeatedly throughout the scriptures. And when I say service, I simply mean using the time, energy, resources, and talents that God has given to you to do what he's called you to do. Where thanksgiving and worship move us to the place of rightly engaging in service. Really what we see is we see God moving and working and we we begin to identify that our hearts and souls are overcome by what he's done for us. And out of gratitude, out of gratitude we serve. Write this down. Love drives discipline. Love drives discipline. Discipline does not drive love. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, I I like to use the illustration of buying flowers uh, for Becky. And uh, I love my wife. I cherish my wife. I think I have the best wife in the world, and I hope every other husband would argue uh, with me about that. And hopefully you'd argue on behalf of your spouse, not someone else's spouse. Okay, that'd be a real problem. Okay? Uh, But I love my wife, and she means the world to me. And so sometimes, sometimes... I want to do things for her that express that gratitude and love. Now, here's what you have to know. Um, I didn't grow up loving to buy flowers. I don't think any guy grows up loving to buy flowers, okay? Um, And even when we first got married, I didn't love to buy flowers. But as my love for my wife has grown, so has my desire to do things that honor and please her. Church is a good place to be honest. So right here's a true confession. 
I kind of like buying her flowers now. In fact, sometimes, sometimes, I'm disappointed that I can't do it more often. And so is she, right? Okay, but I, but I, I begin to enjoy that. Why? Because love drives discipline. See, because I love my wife, I'm willing to do the things that would please her. It's the same with God. Because I love God, because I recognize His supremacy and how great He is and how favorable He's been to me, and because I come to the place of thanksgiving and worship, it's very easy to go and serve. Now try to flip it around for a second. Try to do the discipline drives love thing. I'm kind of struggling with my wife and don't really feel like I love her. I know what I'll do. I'll go buy her flowers. That will make me love her more, right? Okay, no, that was a great chance for y'all to just affirm with one voice. Wrong, okay? It's not going to make me love her more. In fact, what it will likely do, it's likely going to make me resent her. I don't love her. I'm going to go buy her flowers. Man, this place is a zoo. I'm just going to get the flowers and get out of here, right? You get to the flowers. Man, they've raised the price. Really? Ugh. Right? Grab the flowers. i got to wait in line for 15 minutes because the Yahoo in front of me can't figure out how to pay. And it's like all because of these stupid flowers, right? And then likely, likely what happens, you walk in the door here, right? <laughs> We've all been there. Now, that's very, very different then words aren't sufficient, so I want to do this for you. And the same is true with God. And see, the progression throughout this passage is a thanksgiving and worship, and that's what propels us into service. And far too many Christians, far, far, far too many Christians believe that I can work myself into a place of loving God more and Him loving me more. And some of you have tried that cycle only to realize it doesn't happen, doesn't work. In fact, if anything, you end up resenting God and resenting serving more than you do loving Him. Right? Question, okay, question. If you work more, do you love your job more or do you begin to resent your job? See, I, I, I love my job and I would argue that I have the greatest job on the planet. But there are weeks where I get to the end of the week and I begin to resent it. Because the more and more I work, it doesn't make me love it more. It makes me begin to resent it. And of course, there's other things, right, out of, out of the right heart and service and things of that nature. But the same is true for us in our approach to God. If you attempt to approach God, I'm going to work, and that's going to create and foster love in me out of that. Well, no wonder you're so frustrated. No wonder you're um, so, 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 so bent. Right, a celebration and service, it comes on the heels of thanksgiving. It comes on the heels of worship. What we see here really looks a whole lot like the gospel, right? A, a recognition and a thankfulness of all that God has done, a worship. And of course, part of worship is surrender. You understand that? Part of worship is surrender. God, I, I surrender to you. And part of the gospel is coming to the place where, God, Jesus, I surrender to you. I, I'm going to come under because of your great sacrifice. I'm going to come under you and follow you. And it's out of that, it's out of that that we serve Him. 
Now, I would suggest to you that we have great reason to celebrate. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we have great reason to celebrate. And your circumstances in life may uh, aid in that. Your circumstances in life may not aid to that. But I don't think that's the point. See, I think the point for our great celebration is tied to the fact that we serve a great God. That we serve a God who is true, who is good, who is caring, who's kind, who's compassionate, who's faithful, who's ever-present. We serve a God who's good, who gives good things, and who does good things. We serve a great God. We serve a God who should be celebrated. And so with joy in our hearts and with thanksgiving on our lips... We're going to do that now and finish our service this morning with some extended time in worship. So worship team is going to come up. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to have a chance to make sure that we all get this right uh, before we walk out of here. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for all that you've done. God, I thank you that even even in the the fact that you're the one who moves and works, that you're the one who accomplishes, that you allow us to be a part of the celebration in that. And that we don't simply get to celebrate you, but we get to celebrate some of the things that you do and some of the ways that you move and work even in our lives. And so for that, Jesus, we say thank you. God, I pray in these next few moments that there would be a true celebration, a true, legitimate, heartfelt worship of the King who has forgiven so greatly, who has given so much to a people who are not deserving of all that you've done. Jesus, be honored now. We pray this in your name. Amen.